America This Week, September 5th to September 11th. The furious Trump FBI battle continues. John Podesta becomes the world's hugest venture capitalist. Labor disputes intensify. European hungers for LNG. Shorter NPR, three finance headlines, and more. It wasn't us. Queen Elizabeth II is dead, and we promise, this is one international fatality we Americans had nothing to do with. Of course, there have always been people in the States who'd gladly put Britain's royals in zoos and sell tickets, or sign up to watch them devoured on pay-per-view by Komodo dragons, or cheer them devouring their own epaulets for cash on game shows. However, we've mostly grown out of that phase. Our attitude toward the British has mellowed over the years. A pure vassal state, they produce great nature show hosts and action movie villains for us, and we no longer have to worry about them taking over our magazine business, because no one reads magazines in this country anymore anyway. Therefore, we can be generous this week and say, we feel for you. We still don't get the whole queen thing, but we'll try not to be jerks about it at least. In any case, apart from the royal tragedy, this was a big week in news. The top stories. Heads explode a special master named in Trump case. Judge Aileen Cannon of the Southern District of Florida caused widespread shrieking horror among the caretakers of American conventional wisdom when she appointed a special master to review seized documents in the investigation of Donald John Trump. The ruling by Cannon, appointed by Trump in 2020, would permit the special master to prevent material seized from the famed Mar-a-Lago raid from being used for any investigative purpose until they've been evaluated not only for potential attorney-client issues, but potential executive privilege issues. The decision is widely expected to significantly delay the Trump investigation, as such as inspiring unprecedented rhetorical furor among a commentariat that has fairly drooled with expectation for indictment since the raid news broke. Vanity Fair's Trump's special situation is shady as fuck, say legal experts, is typical of pundit reactions this week. Americans have lived through endless permutations of the we got him, we lost him, we got him again narrative with Trump across six years, so these developments don't feel unfamiliar, but the cacophonous intensity of coverage is clearly reaching new heights, or depths, depending on your point of view. Seattle Teachers Strike, Railroad Deadline Approaches The growing number of major strikes and work stoppages continues to be high on the list of most undercovered stories in the United States, and the phenomenon continued with an eventful first week of school in Seattle, where classes were delayed when 6,000 teachers and school employees walked out in search of higher compensation. The Seattle episode followed a recent walkout by teachers in Columbus, Ohio, one of 10 major teacher strikes in the U.S. this year, with schools in Oakland, Sacramento, and Minneapolis affected. Recent weeks have also seen walkouts by 15,000 nurses in Minnesota, 2,600 more nurses in Wisconsin, and 1,000 industrial workers at the Racine, Wisconsin factory of a company called CNH. Meanwhile, the deadline for a White House-mandated cooling-off period in the ominous labor dispute between the country's 115,000 unionized railroad workers and their employees is set to end at midnight on September 16th. If a solution isn't reached, the government will be unable to prevent a stoppage that could have far-reaching effects for the U.S. economy. The World Socialist website continues to be one of the only media outlets in America covering the rise in strikes, by now clearly a national phenomenon. On the other hand, they were also the only outlet to cover the 82nd anniversary of the death of Leon Trotsky. EPA ruling impacts gas exports. The Environmental Protection Agency announced a major ruling Tuesday, 
denying a request by America's largest liquefied natural gas, LNG, exporter Chenier to be exempt from the national emission standards for hazardous air pollutants, or NESHAP, which the Biden administration just reimposed after an 18-year stay. The rule prohibits emissions of substances like formaldehyde and benzene from turbines of the type used at LNG facilities. Chenier asked for two of its facilities in Texas and Louisiana to be exempted, but will be denied. The story's relevance is tied to the energy crisis in Europe, since it was cut off from cheap Russian gas and forced to rely upon tanker imports from the U.S., which is noted last week have tripled since the beginning of the year. Chenier, for instance, has sent 70% of its gas to Europe this year. The Chenier decision may already have had an impact abroad, as Britain announced a two-year cap on consumer energy bills not long after this week's decision. Bloomberg this week reported that 6 in 10 British factories are at risk of going under due to soaring electricity bills. Meanwhile, the Chenier ruling appeared to be the main impetus for the prices of natural gas futures dropping significantly in midweek trading. All of this points to the increased sensitivity of global markets to energy supply disruptions, a story that will increasingly demand attention as military tensions remain tied to economic developments. Attack of the Twitter Bots Ever since billionaire Elon Musk announced plans to try to buy Twitter, a range of studies and exposés have either been published or leaked, suggesting the heralded platform may be more infected with bots and spam accounts than previously understood. This week, Disney president Bob Iger disclosed that when his company was considering buying the platform in 2016, he learned with the company's help that a substantial portion of the accounts were fake, although not a majority were not real. Iger, who in a previous memoir said nastiness was a chief reason he bailed on the Twitter deal, added this week that the quantity of bots was significant enough to seriously depress the potential purchase price. I don't remember the number, but we discounted the value heavily, he said. Meanwhile, in a story that got almost no traction in the U.S., the University of Adelaide released a study suggesting that 60% to 80% of tweets about the war in Ukraine are written by bots. The Australian researchers found a higher incidence of pro-Ukrainian bots than pro-Russia ones, but significant numbers on both sides, with perhaps the most interesting item being their conclusion that automated account types combine to increase fear in the overall discussion of the Russia-Ukraine war. Add recent reporting in the Washington Post about U.S.-generated influence campaigns on both Twitter and Facebook, and it appears long overdue analyses of domestically generated misinformation may finally begin reaching American audiences. Thanks for listening to the audio version of America This Week. For more, visit taibi.substack.com.